How's it going? Nicola, or Nick, as you... Actually, which do you prefer for the purpose of this? Uh, well, or? it's gone back and forth and over and around. So when I was in the US, uh, I tried to be Nicola for about a day and a half. Then I mm. was told, we're going to call you Nick with a K. Oh, didn't really in. like the K after the C. It's what it is. To All be right. honest. Yeah. But now's your chance in your podcasting career. You get a chance at the start to define what you are. I think we should go with Nicola and, uh, All right. cool. and give people, cool. you know, a little uh, a little run. A little Italian flavor. Eh? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, Nicola, welcome to uh, your own podcast. Well, good to be here. Welcome to you, to your own podcast. It's a uh, big feeling. I've never had one. Producer in chief. Doing my best. Yeah. Learning as we go. Well, you gotta, you gotta give it a ride. You gotta start somewhere. Yeah. But uh, this is the first episode of what is uh, a very interesting experiment into the world of podcasting. So uh, very much going to be a, a learn as we go endeavor. Absolutely. But we have some interesting, uh, interesting topics prepared. Yeah, yeah. And I think we've both found we we like to consume podcasts and and listen to them. Some better than others. And uh, and now we said we'd uh, we'd give it a shot ourselves. Um, not knowing too much of what we're doing, right? But hundred percent. That's part of it. With I, most things that we try. Actually. That's absolutely it. I think the the philosophy here is that uh, we want to make something that we know we'll enjoy, and if we enjoy it, I think there's a high chance that maybe at least one other person will enjoy it, and yeah. therefore, why the hell not? Could be my brother. Could be your mother. I mean, that's uh, why not both. Good enough for us. Right? That's that's two listeners right there. We've already exceeded expectations. Look at that. And they always favor. So that's like yeah, brilliant. One each. Brilliant, brilliant. And then you can always just uh, up the speed to uh, listen at 1.8 if you want to just get through us as fast as you want. If you're one of those people, yes. Although I will warn you that when, when I get going on a topic, I'm pretty much at 1.8 like uh, as a standard. And that's the speed. Irish passion. Right exactly, there. exactly. So yeah. warning in advance that you may want to uh, move it down, actually, if anything. Fair enough, fair enough. Speaking about getting going on, uh, on topics that, uh, that might get you speaking fast, I need your take on something. So I was out for an early Christmas dinner on uh, on Friday, a bit too early if you ask me, middle of November, but hey, started playing Christmas music. I mean, it's the theme, right? So you say, fair enough, but that got me thinking, and there's an age-old debate. When is it too early to start playing Christmas music? 100%. Where do you land on that? Well, so I, I hate Christmas music as a, as a starting point. I, just, oh. I despise it all. And there's one in particular that uh, I just can't stand, Stop the Cavalry. And it's it's my absolute nemesis of a song. So okay. you, you can say that I'm biased, let's say, as a starting point. Because for me, uh, Christmas Day is too soon, basically. It should never, it should never happen. But wow. uh, the conventional wisdom seems to be that the day after Halloween, all bets are off. And that's from a commercial standpoint. Like if you walk into a shopping center, you can expect, at least in Ireland, you can expect to hear Christmas music from then, which is a disgrace. From in after Halloween, so first of November. First of November. Jeez. That's that literally, and I've seen advent calendars in in Fertex from mm. from the first of November, and the music too. I don't think they're playing it now, but I know that there are shopping centres in Dublin right now that you can walk in and hear all I want for Christmas for sure. And we're talking, by the way, this is the what twentieth of November. Indeed. So they're well underway with it by now, and I'm talking early November. You'll still hear that. If I was dictator of the world and I could, uh, I could control this myself. I would probably come to some kind of compromise because I know that not everybody has my Scrooge-like uh, distaste for Christmas music. Probably a good thing. But I would certainly limit it to, no, to December. So you get 25 days where you can go all in from the start of December. Okay. As a consumer, you can enjoy it. You can get the most out of it. Nothing sounds overdone. Nothing gets, nothing gets killed. But I do think there should be a limit per song as well. 
Now, how we how we oh, wow. manage that is up to you know the government of the time, and we, maybe there's technology. Yeah. Shazam could be involved somehow, but there just needs to be like a limit on each song. So Mariah Carey's entourage wouldn't be too happy about. She, she's she's more than welcome to play her songs, but definitely no more than any other Christmas song. Okay, so you're gonna have quotas per song. That's how. And first of December. Yeah. Not 25th of November, which no, would give you a month. No. That's the that's the camp I'm in. I think I think that's unfair to Thanksgiving. And I'm not even American, right? But I think no. Thanksgiving needs its fair shake. And that's what, the end of... Uh, yeah, last Thursday of November. Exactly. So we're talking 27th, I think, this year, okay. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Ish. Uh, that needs a fair run, too. And Christmas doesn't deserve to, uh, to cover more than one month. That's just disgraceful. Okay. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I'm particularly intrigued by why you hate Christmas music so much. Like, did something happen? Nothing happened. I wish I could say there was like one traumatic event that triggered this. But it's just, it's actually been a quite recent realization that uh, maybe, maybe what this is actually is I leave Christmas shopping to the last minute every time. Right. And because of that, I actually don't really get exposed to Christmas music much. It's certainly not voluntarily. Like, Mm. I I just kind of go around and and do uh, my my normal life Mm. up until the 20th. 20th or so of December, at which point I, quite stressed usually, am running around a shopping center in Dublin looking for stuff for my family to buy. And that's accompanied by a soundtrack of Christmas music all the way through. And there's one song in particular, the one I mentioned at the start, Stop the Cavalry, which I Huge in Ireland, right? You know that song, actually? Yeah, I do. Actually, so, I was introduced to it by a fellow Irishman, ah, which we I can both imagine know. who. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that song, for those who don't know, um, goes... And it's, for some reason, that just grinds my gears to the absolute nth degree, and I can't stand it. So that is a that's an issue for sure. So potentially, this is a trauma linked to my own self-induced stress of late Christmas shopping. Okay, okay. Well, that uh, does that bleed into Christmas music, uh, Christmas uh, movies for you? Not so much, actually. Okay. I actually have a, a warm place in my heart for Christmas movies. So uh, The Muppets Christmas Carol I watched last year with uh, great enjoyment. So yeah, no, oh, okay. there's definitely yeah. nothing stopping me there. Okay. It's just the music that I can't stand. Okay, well, that's quite a take. Uh, so I, I wish you, uh, you know, Godspeed in this next month of Christmas music. And, Thank uh, you. I'll need, I'll need uh, all the support I can get. Well, okay. I didn't think I was going to get that for you because I could even play Christmas music in July, to be honest with you. I would almost prefer that, to be honest, because then at least okay. it would be spread out. Like, you know, ah, you, you'll, yeah. you'll do, a, you know, you might discover Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas in July and be like, this is a good song. And it is a good song. But like, you might listen to it for a day or two and then be like, mm. cool, now I'll listen to any of the other music that's out there. Right. So you're more against this monopoly that Christmas yeah. music has yeah. over the radio waves in the period. Yeah. Super concentration. And I'm not asking for much. Like, I don't expect a shopping center to have fantastic music wall-to-wall bangers like i know it's going to be right you know some kenny g sprinkled in there yeah you know, i mean we could only we can only dream but uh all i'm asking is just a bit more variety a bit right. more openness to those who hate christmas music all right all right i, I mean i think you know what started off as a hot take comes across a, a bit more reasonably i think <laughs> you, you'll have pissed off quite a few people but absolutely uh, absolutely yeah. that's that's what hot takes are for yeah yeah that's what they're here for 100%. They knew what this was? We're off to a great start. First hot take in the can. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. So thanks for uh, for clearing up that dilemma for me. So we can agree, from the 1st of December, no more than 10 plays per household of Mariah Carey? Oh, that'd be good. Yeah? Because I, I was going to go a bit more generous and say, oh, like, okay. you can have one a day, let's say, of each Christmas song. Okay. That's, that would yeah. be my... And I'm like, that's what you do behind closed doors, you know, fine. Okay. But in public places, right. there needs to be, like... 
okay, guys, you're going to use your Mariah Carey now today. This is the one you're going to use. That's so the one you get. Tactically, yeah. when are you going to play it? Like, when yeah. is it going to have the best impact on your shoppers, right. you know? So they can, they can, they're free to do all that, you know? Yeah. They, can, they can schedule it nicely, but that's it for the day. Okay. One and done. That's how it is. Reasonable. Reasonable. I don't know what relevant authority you need to take this proposal I don't think, up I don't with, think but... it exists. I don't think it exists. Okay. okay. And it never will. Could be a future project. Way in the future, yes. Okay, fantastic. So, uh, yeah, should we uh, take a little break and then dive into our uh, yeah into our, our first big topic? Yes, let's fantastic. do that. Fantastic. All righty. All good. All right. Okay, so we are back, and uh, we're going to move into our first whatever this is because we haven't really quite nailed down like exactly what we're here to right. do or talk about, right? But uh, in the run up to this, after we agreed to do this podcast, basically. I went looking for some kind of topic that might be kind of interesting to have some kind of a hot take on, maybe mm -hmm. a historical aspect to it. And that led me down quite an insane rabbit hole, actually. And I w I have, I've spent probably like too much time basically delving into the details of this particular topic. But the hot take here, the thing that I hope uh, puts its hooks into people as they're listening is the following statement, which is that, <laughs> and I can't, I can't oh, quite no. believe I'm saying this, uh, how Ireland's coldest winter mm -hmm. directly leads to the creation of the Shawshank Redemption. Okay. All and right. specifically, the big frost, the, as it's referred to in history, the great frost of 1740 mm -hmm. in Ireland is, I would almost go as far to say, is directly responsible for the creation of the Shawshank Redemption all those years later. So for a movie that came, you know, about 250 years later. Exactly. Okay. So what I'm going to try to do now is explain why I think that that's the case. Yeah, please, please enlighten us. And uh, I'm wondering if it's worth starting, first of all, uh, at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Because maybe that'll help people to see where I'm coming from. Yeah. So the Shawshank Redemption, right? Uh, you're, you're a fan of a... I, I, am a, I am a fan. I am a fan. I mean, I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a movie that, uh, that I watched a lot, especially in my teenage years. So I had a, a huge run on cable, right? And uh, especially in the exactly. US. That was actually yeah. one of the big drivers of its uh, right. success today. Because it wasn't a box office hit, as exactly. far as I recall. Yeah. And it's the, there's another podcast, The Rewatchables, who, who go really into the details yeah. on this, right? On The Ringer, yeah. Oh, The Ringer, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I think anyone listening knows that The Shawshank Redemption is like one of the highest rated films of all time, right? Uh, mm. On IMDb, it certainly is. It was nominated for seven Oscars, didn't win a single one, and it was beaten to almost all of them by Forrest Gump, actually. Funny story. Well, what a year to uh, compete for the Oscars. What a year. What yeah. a year indeed. But it's directed by a guy called Frank Darabont, and we'll come back to Frank a little okay. bit later yeah. on, because it's quite an interesting uh, tale. Just but a quick I, sidebar of where do you stand on Forrest Gump versus Shawshank? Oh, Shawshank all the way. Oh, do you? Yeah, I think, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. I think Forrest Gump is... Uh, it's based on a bad book, first of all, mm. and I haven't, I, now I'm not saying I've read, <laughs> read the book, but I know <laughs> factually, I know factually that that oh, book man. is not good. It was written by a relatively unknown author. It got really bad reviews at the time, and, has, and like it's not a good story. The film is indulgent to the maximum degree possible, oh, wow. and it is saved by Tom Hanks being. Tom Hanks, basically. Okay, so maybe we, we save that one for another podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you've pissed enough people off with your take on Christmas Ex music. Exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. Maybe I should try try and piss off as few people as possible. But just to, just to get it clear, not only do you prefer Shawshank to Forrest Gump, yeah. 
you don't like Forrest Gump. I didn't like it when I watched it. Now, I've only watched it once. So oh, okay. Well, maybe it, it, well, it benefits from repeat viewings. I don't know. I would say so. But uh, I'll give it a shot. That's okay. That's my that's my promise. But uh, in order to get back to the Shawshank Connection, we need to jump a little bit back in time to 1740s Ireland, right? Okay. The Kingdom of Ireland, as it then was, as part of uh, Great Britain, uh, as it still was at that time. And... A lot of people, when you mention the famine in Ireland, uh, they think of the Great Famine of 1845, so mm-hmm. 100 years later, right? That's mm-hmm. the one that uh, has kind of shaped a lot of our cultural history and is actually a big part of like Ireland's identity today as a kind of a formative uh, time. But actually, that famine, percentage-wise, killed less people than the Great Frost of 1740 and okay. the famine that came after it. Mm-hmm. Because the Great Frost, it was basically, uh, this is in a time just before Celsius was even existed, right? So it was even... As a unit of measurement. Exactly. Okay. So we don't have like brilliant records of that time. Mm. But what we know is that the temperatures at that time in Europe and particularly in Ireland dropped to insanely never before seen levels. And to put it lightly, everything was fucked basically from that point on mm-hmm. for 1740, 1741, and even the years that followed. No crops, nothing. You've no. got it. So no crops, no potatoes. Rivers are frozen, so the mills don't work. Livestock all dies. Uh, people flock to cities in search mm. of food. Disease is rampant in those cities. Right. It's like a complete disaster, and Ireland is fucked in many ways. Now, migration hadn't really taken off so much in Ireland at that time. It would 100 years hence, mm-hmm. but there was still some migration going on, particularly from the northern part of Ireland, the Ulster Scots, as they were called, who began their journeys, just like some generations before, to the United States of America. And one such fellow in particular makes that journey. Now, there we go. Here you see, we're back on track. Right? <laughs> oh, yes, we Getting are. back towards Shawshank. So uh, that man, his name is John Poe, right? He's a native of Cavan in Ireland in 1740. And after the Great Freeze of 1740, and a couple of years later, he's in economic woes like everyone else in Ireland. He's basically lost one third of his friends and family to the horrible famine that came after the frost. And he decides, I'm leaving. I'm going to Philadelphia. And maybe my, maybe, like- his, maybe his friends are there. Maybe who knows? I don't know the full mm-hmm. story. But in any case, he decides to go. So him, his wife and his kids, they move to Philly. He has a son called David. That son, David, also has a son called David. Uh, little sidebar, David Sr. was actually uh, a very well-known uh, quartermaster in the Revolutionary War, was personally known to George Washington. Anyway, just a little sidebar. But anyway, long story short, John has a great-great-grandson who's born in Boston in, uh, in 1809. So we're already four generations in. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Uh, I could go way deeper on, the, on those, yeah. the Poe family, right? Yeah. But maybe you've guessed where I'm going with it. His great-great-grandson is a young boy by the name of Edgar. Edgar Allan. Edgar Poe. Now, it's Edgar Poe, funny enough, because tragically, Edgar, uh, his father passes away a year after he's born. So uh, Edgar Poe is, is born. His dad abandons the family. He's a failed actor, alcoholic, as it turns out. He, okay. uh, he just abandons the family and dies uh, a year later, right? So Edgar grows up without knowing his father. Mm-hmm. And uh, is, is taken in by a foster family, the Allen family, who are reasonably wealthy. And... Uh, he, he takes on the Allen. So it's Edgar Allan Poe from okay, that point. Okay, look at that. No. So look got, at what they missed in my American uh, history class this, when I was a junior in high school. This is pretty key yeah. and pretty niche, I acknowledge, but yeah. uh, we're getting there, right? So okay. we have Edgar Allan Poe who has come generationally from Ireland back four generations previous, but he is now mm-hmm. growing up in the United States. And Edgar Allan Poe goes on after some misadventures. He joins the army. He drops out. He drops out of university. He sooner or later becomes a famous writer and is today acknowledged as one of the 
one of the f- biggest writers in American uh, history, right? Yeah. Throughout the 30s and 40s, he's uh, the 1830s and 1840s. He's, he's and writing. he didn't write the book that inspired Forrest Gump, oh, just oh, the disclaimer. Just to be yeah. clear, no. Yeah. That, although, could he have? Maybe. But uh, he chose not to. He uh, spends the 1830s and 40s writing, publishing, and he writes actually a lot of poetry for the, for the most part mm-hmm. and some stories. And he becomes actually quite a big name in the weird or like uh, horror genre. Mm. So uh, things like The Telltale Heart, which you might have heard of, or uh, The Raven, his big poem. He's like, these were scary works at the time and they, they propelled him to being like a household name in, in the US at the time. He was like a, a celebrity in his time uh, for being such a fantastic author. Uh, and he died age 40 in mysterious circumstances in 1849. Very sad. So actually, uh, he he lived a short but fantastic life. Okay. And no light to shed on those mysterious circumstances. I wish I did. Now, okay. the only sidebar I had here was he mar- he was married a few times. And he actually lied to marry his cousin, Virginia, who was 13 Uh-oh. years old. So, oh. And, and this, <laughs> this is what I'm finding. Edgar, whoa. Uh, this is what I'm finding with this era is like the more you dig into any personal bios, the more these heroes start to uncover these little cracks of like, oh, whoops, we uh, flawed character. Won't huh? uh, yeah, won't mention that. Okay, and uh, we're actually almost we're only two two separations away from the Shawshank Redemption now. But apparently, still okay to marry your cousin. Still okay, and yeah, still in that in era, that time right? at yeah. that time. Uh, yeah, he, it was it was, uh, and he stayed married to his cousin for for most of his life actually. So okay. anyway, okay, well, let's fast forward a couple more years. Well, let's right? do that. Let's so Poe is is dead in eighteen forty nine. 41 years later, in 1890, mm. a young boy is born in Providence, Rhode Island, and his name is Howard Phillips Lovecraft, right? Lovecraft? Are you a Lovecraft It rings fan? a bell. Are you, you're not a Lovecraft uh, fan? Is that fair to say? It must be fair to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. just rings a bell, but I can't uh, connect it to it. Well, you're not alone because uh, Lovecraft, although he's uh, recognized today as, as like a huge uh, impact on the, on the horror genre, mm. Uh, he wasn't in his time. And even after his death for like 30 years, he wasn't actually a, a famous uh, writer at all. Actually, it was only like a scholarly revival in the 1970s that really brought him to like mainstream uh, fame. But anyway, that's beside the point. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So Lovecraft, right, interestingly enough, also grows up without a father. His father is committed to a mental institution only okay. a few years after his birth. So uh-huh. Lovecraft, like Poe before him, grows up without a father figure. His grandfather, as it turns out, introduces him to horror fiction. And through that, he's introduced to the works of Edgar Allan Poe. And, okay, okay. Here's a link. And he's impressed. He, okay. in fact, describes Poe as his god of literature, basically, and his biggest influence. He visits the Poe Museum in, uh, in 1929, and he describes it as visiting his supreme literary favorite. And he sees Poe, wow. basically, as like the formative figure in literature for him. Okay. okay. So safe to say he's basically obsessed, right? Now, Lovecraft, like we talked about, doesn't really get famous. And he dies age 46 in 1937, right? Uh, Intestinal cancer. But he goes on to become a very popular figure. Mm -hmm. One such uh, consumer of his works is a 13-year-old boy by the name of Stephen King. King. Bangor, Maine. Shout out to Bangor, Maine. Shout out to Bangor. Landed on Stephen King. That's exactly right, because age, in 1937, he dies age, age 46, right? Stephen King is born in Portland, Maine in 1947. Yeah. And like Poe and like Lovecraft, Stephen King grows up without a father. Okay. His father 
is abandons the family when Stephen King is two years old. So Stephen King, like Edgar Allan Poe and like Lovecraft, is raised without a father. Another literary genius. Another literary without genius. A exactly. Something in it, I think, because in 1960, age 13, Stephen King comes across a copy of Lovecraft's The Lurking Fear and Other Stories and yeah. is hooked instantly on horror. And this is a formative moment in his career as a horror writer because, as you probably know, Stephen King was a horror writer for like most of his mm-hmm. uh, most of his career, right? He publishes Carrie in, uh, what was it, 1973. That was his first published novel. Mm-hmm. And spends the next nine years becoming like a household name in the horror genre. Right. But crucially, after those nine years, he's already huge, right? He's, he's like a horror mainstay. He's done it all. Even uh, probably in talks to have movies being made at that point, right? Yeah. I think he, Shining is right around the corner. At exactly, stage, right? exactly, right? So he then decides to do something a bit different. And in 1982, he writes a collection of novellas called Different Seasons. Mm. And in that are two stories that would go on to be adapted to Hollywood movies. Okay. One is called The Body, which goes on to be uh, adapted to Stand By Me. And the other... Great film. It's a great film. Absolutely. One River of my Phoenix, favorites. River Phoenix. River Phoenix. A young Kiefer River Sutherland. Indeed. Putting in the work as, as well. As one of the bad boys. One of the, the baddies. Yeah, yeah. The baddie, actually. Yeah. Probably the, the main one. No, great film. Brings tears to my eyes every time, much. I need to watch it again. My father introduced me to to, to that movie, and it's it's actually one of his favorites. And he's a big Stephen King fan. So. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah. then, if he's listening, he's loving this episode. Yeah, yeah this, I, this I would say a, so. Once he goes King. through that whole family tree, but yeah. If he still, if he hasn't turned it off by now. But it's worth sticking with because the body is one story and the other is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption written by Stephen King mm. so that is a, a 100 page book story that Stephen King writes yeah and we're back in 1983 Frank Darabont who I mentioned at the start right discovers Stephen King because Stephen King has like a bunch of stories that you can buy the rights to for one dollar so Darabont does that oh, is that like, so yeah, well, yeah not anymore probably no well at right. the time he had his, his list of like dollar movies where he was like I want my stuff to be made into movies and uh, you can have the rights for a dollar. So he had like film students, he had all sorts of people contact him. Now Darabont wasn't like a big deal in Hollywood at all at the time. He, his first screenwriting credit was A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. So like not exactly, you know, a big name. Well, I'd say so. But he comes back to Stephen King in 87 and offers him $5,000 for the rights to the Shawshank Redemption. And I I think that's a good place to stop because the rest is history, right? There's a huge story about how the Shawshank Redemption got made, right? It's like a complete shit show, basically, from start to finish. Rob Reiner was going to direct it and was almost insisting on directing it. Tom Cruise was going to be Andy Dufresne for a long time. Uh, It was a a complete mess. It was like went over budget. Filming was super stressful. Everyone hated it. And it all came together last minute. And then they reshot the ending because they didn't like how it actually ended. So it was like a complete disaster. But anyway, suffice to say, uh, it's one of the most impactful movies ever made. It's uh, the top rated movie on IMDb. It sits next to The Godfather with a rating of 9.3 on IMDb. But to sum up this this little little, uh, journey... There is no Shawshank Redemption without Stephen King, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's fair to say. That's very fair to say. Yeah, say. Stephen King, the author, doesn't exist without H.P. Lovecraft, his biggest influence. Mm-hmm. H.P. Lovecraft, the author, doesn't exist without Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe does not become a famous American author were it not for the decision of his great-great-grandfather, no, great-grandfather, to leave Ireland in 1740 and go to America. And why did he leave Ireland in 1740? Because of the Great Frost of 1740, which crippled the nation of Ireland and caused a wave of migration. Wow. 
So, you know, where this really lands is essentially, we don't have a Stephen King author at all without the Great Freeze, right? So forget Shawshank, we don't have a Stephen King at all. That is a fair point, actually. So what I, I took the starting point of Shawshank because I was like, what's, what's everyone's favorite film? Like, right. when, you, when you walk around, if you go out in the world and, and go to any, if I stop someone in the street and go, what's your favorite movie? Either they know it and they say, uh, you know, No Country for Old Men or, or whatever, or they don't know and they go, uh, Shawshank Redemption, because they know it's like, mm. it's like a really mm. super popular film. Yeah. And I actually think that you could probably argue that that film has had a bigger impact than Stephen King has on like modern pop culture today. Oh, wow. Maybe that's a hot take as well. I, th- I think you could say that. I think you could say that. I don't think, for example, our generation is as much into the Stand By Me and The Shining and, yeah, exactly. and those other exactly. masterpieces, in fact, which actually yeah. hold hold a dearer place in my heart than Shawshank. Exactly. We're discussing Stephen King. A hundred percent. And I mean, have you tried reading? Like if, if you read It, for example, mm-hmm. like that thing is a slog, like from start to finish. Like it's a great book, but like... You're you're and locked it's a in. Thick book, yeah. eight hundred pages, and like yeah. he is not he is not in a rush. Like no. each chapter feels like, okay, what are we gonna talk about now? Like uh, really, yeah. it's drawn out. So like he's great, like but he's not like you know the be all end all. Let's say, mm-hmm. but uh, Shawshank is one of, if not the, yeah, yeah, the most absolutely, popular. absolutely. So without the Great Freeze, we don't have a Stephen King author because he doesn't have Lovecraft. To As be inspired his guiding by. light. And Lovecraft needs yeah. Poe for his guiding needs light. Needs Edgar Allan Poe. Who married his 13-year-old cousin. He did indeed. Okay. When he was 26. I think this is... Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> really, I, I think you're, you're onto something. The, the Irish-American uh, council would, uh, would thank you for this. because This was uh, some deep research. And also a uh, lot of uh, huge assumptions made on my part. None of this is scientific, yeah. right? And I mean... Thankful. Thankfully not. Uh, and I, I'm, no, I'm no historian, yeah. as uh, as you probably know. So, or scientist. Or, or any, yeah. Right. I'm not much of anything, really. But uh, Quite unqualified, in fact. This was like one of those rabbit holes where you're clicking through Wikipedia to yeah. the next, to the next, to the next. And I was like, how deep does this go? But uh, it is like, I think, not unreasonable to say that like, if Ireland had a warm winter in, in 1740, I don't think we get Shawshank Redemption. This is a real-life version of the Wikipedia game, essentially. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Basically. You know? Yeah. But then what would be interesting to know is who else immigrated oh. during that wave, Insane. right? Insane. Yeah. You, it's, we're tipping, it's tip of the iceberg stuff here. All because right. I can, I, if you talk about U.S. presidents, if you talk about like who were the most impactful people in American history, how many of them had great-grandfathers who came over in a, yeah. in a coffin ship from Ireland? Kennedys could have been in around that era. You have to think so with that surname, yeah. All right. This is huge. Wow. But that was, uh, this was my little uh, spicy hot take. Wow, wow. Brilliant, brilliant. And where do you land on the Shawshank, just sidebar here, being, quote-unquote, one yeah. of the best films of all time? Nah, I think it's uh, that's extremely generous. Yeah. It's a highly yeah. rewatchable, it's a comfort yeah. movie, right? Comfort I mean, movie, yeah. yeah. Doesn't do anything, stays in its lane, like, doesn't doesn't try to be more than it tries. You know, it's, it's like isn't actually that ambitious, I think, as a movie. It's like right. a pretty straightforward story and just kind of tells it in, in as best it can. But like, uh, it's definitely not my, in my top, uh, probably even 10 or, or 20 even. I, like, I like it and I would watch it if it was on, you know, this rewatchable thing. But like, mm-hmm. it's definitely not something that I would f- insist is like one of the best movies ever made. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. What about you? I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, from a, from a cinematic perspective... 
I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in those buckets when I talk about, you know, the game changers like The Godfather or whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. But but of course it's a movie that, you know, if it would just be on on TV, I mean we don't watch TV like that anymore, right? No, but no, if it would just be on thirty minutes into the movie and you're like, Yeah, let's Shawshank is on. I'll keep it on this instead of continuing to flip yeah. channels, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you have Morgan Freeman, right? I mean that's uh Oh, there's and, a lot uh, to love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim Robbins. Yeah, Tim Robbins is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and almost every scene is like something cool about it. You know, there's there's very little slack in it. Like it it ticks along nicely. It's long, but like it 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 gets through where it's going pretty fast. Right. So like it's reasonably good. I think it's just not like a masterpiece of art. And like funny enough, one of the other hot takes I thought of was if there was no Forrest Gump, does. Shawshank become the highest Oscar winner of, of all time at that because it was up for seven Oscars seven and so. it was snubbed on every single category yeah so yeah and Forrest Gump took home most of those most yeah, it, yeah. the other ones were uh, Lion King took best score uh, Speed <laughs> Speed got best sound no and Legends of the Fall got, Speed uh, with Keanu yeah with a young heart throbbing Keanu Oscar winning movie Speed yeah wow and people say the Oscars don't give a lot of uh, action movie uh, oh, Oscars but there you go Back in, they probably uh, haven't since Speed. I mean, that's uh, well. Mad Max got the nomination for Best Picture, and that was it. Right, Fury yeah. Road. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Not the old right. Mad Max. They start to nominate nowadays, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the list has gone longer. They yeah. they do a longer yeah, nominee yeah, exactly. list. But uh, huge. Yeah, absolutely huge. Absolutely huge. Well, I mean, uh, we have that uh, the Great Freeze of 1840. 1740. 1740. Excuse me. 1840 was the potato famine. Exactly. We have the the Great Freeze of 1740 to thank for the making of the Shawshank Redemption, and if you want, for uh, any success Stephen King has had in his life. Not to mention Lovecraft or Edgar Allan Poe. Oh. It would be interesting to know what Stephen King would be doing if he hadn't become an author. He was a teacher originally, but uh, oh, okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah. But he, he go. found his found his niche yeah. with some dark places in his head. Absolutely. Yeah. There we go. But there that was the, that's end of part one, and then we'll we'll take a quick break and come back with uh, a slightly different topic. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Let's part do two. that. Thanks for the history lesson. No problem. All right. And uh, we're back. Uh, welcome back. So um, I was uh, procrastinating quite hard the other day. And uh, and I came across uh, a clip on YouTube, about 2 minutes, 30 seconds, which was an ad for Belvedere Vodka or Belvedere for our American friends, uh, starring none other than your man, Daniel Craig, a.k.a., you know, James Bond, freshly retired James Bond. And... <laughs> I'm just watching this absolutely bizarre, uh, bizarre video. I don't know what you thought about it. But, uh, I have lots of thoughts, but I, I'll, yeah, I can I'll, imagine. Yeah. One of my key takeaways was, I mean, this is Daniel Craig's, you know, post-bond retirement, and he's basically become a vodka salesman, right? And then, I mean, I was looking at him, analyzing his face. The guy looks exhausted. He looks like he's aged 30 years in the past 15 of playing Bond. You know, I almost, I, I felt for the guy. And that got me to, to thinking, you know, uh, does he wish that he had never taken up that role? And now, and, and you know, that's, that's bold, right? Because yeah. we're yeah. talking about one of the top three Bonds, probably, right? I mean, my yeah. own brother, he ranks him uh, first, tied with Sean Connery, for example. So... 
we're talking about a bomb that brought you know a human aspect some vulnerability and and so on and so forth mm-hmm. um but i was thinking you know so if we go back in time to you know that post pierce brosnan era right oh four oh five where they're making the casting call mm. if daniel craig turns them down who becomes bond then you know, and you can't go, you know, Tom Hardy, Daniel Kaluuya, they're too young at too, the time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what year was this again? Like Casino Royale? So Casino Royale was uh, 2005, 2006 okay. was, uh, was the releases. Yeah. Um, so basically what I came to, I did some research and you had, I mean, there's a super long list, right? There's some that were offered the role, declined. There were some that were, uh, you know, considered but never offered the role. But I came down to really like three names which we can uh, which we can essentially choose from and Ooh, see splash. what what happens if one of those is bond and feel free to to throw in an extra one if we're not happy with any of this. Okay. So, okay, let's go. So the 3 are first Clive Owen who uh, was not offered the role because he asked to be provided gross profit points. Drives a hard bargain. Apparently so. And then consider where Clive Owen's career went after that. It's basically nowhere, nowhere, right? right? Yeah, I think after that he did Inside Man, Children of Man, and that's basically... And that might have actually been on the cusp of the years where he would have been preparing bombs. Exactly, exactly. I think it might have been an either-or, but that's basically Clive Owen. I think we all are better off for Clive Owen not having been James Bond. I think he was in no position to demand points on the on the gross revenue and i've seen him in a few things i liked him in sin city mm-hmm. i didn't i don't think he's that good and i don't think he's bonds so personally mm-hmm. i'm like we're all better off i don't know who the other two are on your list okay. but whoever they are i'm actually gonna already put clive on a bit, a bit harsh on clive Am i, I mean, yeah uh, i feel like i'm firing at the hot takes but could, this is because like, i thought he could he could have been quite a standard you know carry the baton uh, type of bond but then again would he have been you know a bit too mellow or very mellow and a bit pierce brosnan-y as well which is like mm. not what we wanted at that not time. as handsome we yeah it's like a less handsome pierce brosnan okay and like we had had pierce then for how many like five four movies i can't remember but like he yeah, three or four. He did like quite a few, right? Yeah. And uh, we needed a change. We needed something different. I think the casting was inspired of, of, of Daniel Craig. Absolutely. But, but let's obviously we're putting that aside, right? Right. right? So because we uh, want him to age gracefully, right? Exactly. We wanted to enjoy his career, yeah. but yeah, he's, he looks tired. <laughs> well, because we probably missed out on a great actor doing a ton of other things with Daniel Craig having been tied to Bond for so long. That's for sure. Although, right. if we have time at the end, we'll come back to that because I have a hot take on that as well. But, okay. Uh, okay. Anyway. I love that. I'm glad you do. It is. Um, so, um, uh, by the way, in the past, way back when, uh, rumor has it, I mean, we're talking in the 70s. Uh, Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds had been offered to be Bond. Whoa. Neither British. So just, you know, when we Jeez. throw in our own nominations, keep in mind that... You can go... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. okay, now the other two. None other, and these two were actually offered the role and ended up declining. Okay. None other than Christian Bale. Yeah. And now you're thinking around the 2005 yeah, Christian yeah. Bale. Yeah, exactly. Peak of his powers, you know. Yeah. Still is now one of the biggest movie stars around, you know, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, apparently, according to the to, to Mr. Broccoli, uh, Christian Bale, the role was his for the taking. So we're talking ahead in the pecking order yeah. over, uh, over, uh, over our man uh, Craig. So he considered the franchise, quote unquote, very British. 
as well as having the opinion that the character represented, quote unquote, every despicable stereotype about England and British actors, end quote, Ouch. and that he had, quote, already played a serial killer, end quote, in American Psycho. Oh, so Christian Whoa. Bale dropping the hot takes to the broccoli family. We need him on the podcast for these kind of hot takes. Can you that believe is, that? Uh, insane. I mean, a hundred points for candor from from yeah. our man. And to say that on the record, like it's one thing to to you know think that, but like to to be like I'm going to say this publicly so that everyone in the world knows it. Like, it's just like insane. And imagine what kind of bond you get there. I mean, I mean, it's probably a decent one, I would say. I mean, like, if he was committed, let's say he didn't hate the whole concept and right. actually wanted to do it, I think he would have done a decent job. But he doesn't go five movies, that's for sure. Oh, I mean, knowing him, like, he, he quits after the first one because he yeah, hates it. Exactly. You know? But the only thing that makes me wonder is, like, he goes on to become Batman, right? Mm. And to me, like, there, there isn't, like, that huge a canyon between James Bond and Batman as to, like, their moral stature you know i know batman doesn't kill people but like still it's kind of ballpark the same mm. so i do wonder maybe he regrets it or it's easy to say i have no regrets after the fact you know where you, you turned it down and maybe you do regret it but you know yeah all, all i'm saying is does he really do batman I, I, does he do batman if he's james bond first right. of all? probably not all right. and does he do batman if he doesn't turn down james bond specifically mm, no. i don't know i mean i think the thing with batman was to an extent he got to put a bit of his own spin on it True. which is which is what he goes for right mm. i think it was a more condensed uh period of time it was about three movies over six years yeah and uh and he had you know he was able to put on the suit the, yeah. the superhero suit yeah. you know and whatnot yeah. but mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Christian Bale as, uh, as, as Bond, we, you know, he probably tries to bargain for a, a second film where he's, uh, 40 pounds, uh, underweight and yeah, uh, shooting yeah, up heroin yeah. or something. Exactly. And, like, or else I'm not doing it. Like, yeah. yeah. No. In it, again, I think we haven't found a better replacement than Daniel Craig so far. So I'm, I okay. still, I still feel like these were, these were, that was a better option, let's say. Okay. But I'm like, I still think we haven't found our, our Bond here. So I'm glad I saved this one for last. Okay. This is someone very dear to your heart. Oh. Oh. And which I don't think you expect uh, to come out of here. Uh, he, uh, this person, uh, was very much in the running. And then uh, apparently he heard a rumor that Pierce uh, would return and then ruled himself out. Oh, I bet I can guess. Is I, it, I think you could. Is it Colin? No. Colin Farrell. No. Oh. And it's not Colin Firth either. No. Okay. No Colin. It's not a Colin. Fuck. I don't know then. I was thinking someone Irish, but... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, He's played someone part Irish. Ooh. Brad. No. No, 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 no. He's British. British played someone part Irish. I don't, I don't think you would guess it. Like, my okay. mind was blown when I saw this. None other... Ladies and gentlemen, then Dominic West. Oh, oh no. That is... He would have been perfect. That oh. is, yes, Dominic oh. West from The Wire. And if you've just gotten done with the last season of The Crown, oh. it is Prince Charles Dominic West. That's a shame. That's a, How about that? That's a big shame. I knew you'd like that. He's the one of the only actors who I could see doing as good, if not a better job, than Daniel. I mean, classy. 
just has it all. He's the full package. He has He's it. a funny guy. He has a great sense of humor, a bit of wit, a bit of a cheek about him, you know. He's got that James Bond cheekiness. At the right age at the time, probably, yeah. right? And what else? I guess he hasn't had a chance really to do any action that I can think of. Like, he exactly. did 300 and he was the bad guy in that. Right. But like, I can't think of anything where he was like, you know, the Clive Owen or the, the Daniel Craig of the movie where it was like, you know, this... He could play the uh, part. He could, he could yeah. probably do that... 14, 15 year run that uh, that Craig embarked on. Easy, yeah. Also because he and didn't seem very busy in the meantime. No, exactly. Yeah. He's done The Affair. He's done, uh, I don't know, what, and The Crown recently. Yeah, but like Prince Charles, but, yeah. uh, or King Charles now. Wasted, wasted. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what happened. But like, uh, that's, that? a, that's Dominic West as James Bond. Okay, I buy that. I so, buy that. So we lock him in. Lock him in. Casino Royale, 2006. Nails it. Critical acclaim. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To the level of I Daniel think- Craig's? Not quite, because the, if I remember right at the time when they announced Craig, there was a huge backlash. They were like, he's yeah. blonde, he's, he's going to suck. Like, Me included. What's he been in? You know, He, yeah. he wasn't really in, even in that much stuff before that. He had, at, at that point, he had done, I think his, his biggest claim was this film called Layer Cake. Oh, yeah. I don't know if yeah, you've yeah, seen yeah, that, yeah, yeah. but, uh, but kind of came out Very of nowhere. Very distant from Bond. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think the, the reception of Casino Royale, as well as it being a fantastic film, well-written, all that, mm-hmm. is like he did actually defy the critics and do a fantastic job. I right. And I think, I think Dominic West would have gone in with a bit more approval. He's kind of more in the, the kind of natural flow of bonds, you know? Mm-hmm. So like he would have actually had to overcome quite high expectations, but not as much as Daniel did. All right. Right. Yeah. Now, would he have made uh, for, for as good of a swimsuit uh, shot as uh, DC did in uh, Casino Royale? Probably not. DC was shredded. Because that won yeah. him a lot of fans from certain demographics. Wonderful. Right? He was man of the year in every GQ, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. He was a symbol from that point on. With no but... chest hair whatsoever. Just Yeah, not a fan of that. More of a Connery uh, fan. Right, right. right. <laughs> Get that hair. With the full jumper on. Oh, yeah. All the sweater. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 100%. Um, no shame. No shame. Just Absolutely. own it. Own it. Uh-huh. But... Uh, so Dominic, yeah, he would have been uh, probably not quite... That shot might have been cut from the movie, let's say. Okay, yeah. If Dominic yeah. Had, had tried to pull it off. But I think he would have carried it in other ways, you know? Yeah. I think uh, people would have just... He would have recruited uh, droves of new fans who would have been like, this guy's awesome. And yeah. Uh, yeah maybe and you the wire. as a wire aficionado. Uh, well, that's the thing. You know. What happens to the wire then? So has he... Has he fil- he's finished filming the wire at this point? When is the wire starting? Around 02? Okay, so he's probably and, done and, a few yeah. seasons at least, right? I think they're, The Wire, I think, ends in 08, I okay. want to say. So it's pretty much overlapping, right? And anyway, The Wire didn't like instantly explode, right? It was more of a sleeper uh, yeah. hit as well. So right? they go straight. The first three seasons are, uh, are basically back-to-back. And then you have the penultimate season in 06, which is when Royale would be released. Yeah. And the final season in 08. Which was a bit of a dud. Which if he's Bond, he's probably not going back for that. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't even happen. Ooh. Well, that's the thing. Does it happen? Season five of The Wire was kind of like touch and go, right? It was like, do we do it? Do we not? Could have done Um, without it, right? Because you could have ended The Wire with the the end of season four. Perfect. Perfect, right? With the kids. But I reckon, like The Wire is now... It recognizes probably one of the best series up yeah. there with Sopranos, right? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, had he done James Bond, would The Wire be more popular or somehow less popular or like more less well-received than it actually is? It probably would have brought... So there you're still around, you know, 06. 
you're not yet streaming Netflix or HBO, etc. You're mm. you're in a, you're in a DVD box set era, yeah, right? You have to go out and actually buy it yourself. So probably it would have had that period there of getting a lot more fans of oh, let's go see what Bond did before yeah. through the box sets, etc. Exactly. Because exactly. it's it's renaissance now has been with this new generation coming to yeah. it from streaming TV, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much like with Sopranos. Fuck. Yeah. That changes the course of history, though. Yeah. Well, so The Wire basically becomes a, a mainstream thing already uh, in, yeah. in those mid, uh, mid-2000s mid to 2010. I guess the only thing, the only reason it's not like more crazy is like if The Wire just never really reached like a massive level of fame, you know, mm-hmm. then you could argue that his casting as Bond would could have been like a, a complete turning point, right? Yeah, yeah. But luckily, luckily enough, The Wire does go on to become... Like yeah. pretty pretty well recognized. It gets like very little uh, awards or like recognition in that. No, sense, I mean, right? I think. Yeah, but it goes on to be, let's say, quite well regarded, regardless of of Dominic's uh, relative un un uh, unsuccessful career since yeah. the wire. Right? Yeah, but I also think though, in that moment, because we talk about Daniel Craig kind of being plucked out of uh, out of nowhere, mm. I don't think the wire is that big globally to not have a similar reaction in terms of who the hell is this guy True. that's going to be Bond. It could always, right? it could be that bit bigger, but I do think also The Wire is, is almost like because of its format, right? That it's limited in terms of like how far it can really go. It's never going to be uh, Game of Thrones, you know? It, right. it, it'll never be like that huge, but, uh, but yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, uh, so Dominic West is your guy? I think so. He's is there uh, any any honorable mentions you want to throw out there in the, in that era? Jeez. I mean, you're talking 04 to 06 that could have been in contention for uh, for Bond. In terms of like British or even Irish actors, I actually think Colin Farrell could have done it. Colin could have Farrell. taken a stab at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, it was never going to happen. He's another Irish actor after Pierce Brosnan. It would have been kind of uh, right, you know, right. Uh, but let's say he he just gets it one way or another, right? Mm. So Colin Farrell, what happens then? He's just come off Daredevil, I guess, around that time. And by the way, this is all off the top of my head. So I could be getting this like very, very yeah, wrong in terms, you, of, in terms right. of dates, yeah. right? But Colin Farrell is like just taking off. He's probably done Minority Report in 2004, mm-hmm. something like that. In Bruges. In Bruges, huge. I think that was even after that, but like yeah, roughly be. around that time, Mid-2000s. right? Mid-2000s. So then he becomes Bond. He perfects his British accent. He just leans all into it, which he would probably never do realistically. But like, I think then Colin Farrell becomes like, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt level, which he isn't. He's not quite there today. Like he's he's come close, but like he's a bottom A list. Yeah, I think he's like yeah, huge deal. Like you're certainly gonna want him in a movie. Like let's see, but he's done stuff like The Lobster or uh, these like very weird Yorgos Lanthimos movies where mm. it's just bizarre from start to finish, and, it, and nobody's watching them. Like no, yeah. nobody's really like flocking to cinemas to watch yeah. these. So he isn't. He doesn't have the draw that like Tom Cruise has where whatever he's in people will go see it sells. pretty much right so I think that could be huge okay. yeah. yeah do you have any other uh... no I'll, I'll throw one at you and then we can we can head into that uh, that Daniel Craig conversation mm. uh, where I'm sure you have a few takes but another Daniel and now I want to hear your pitch to him because I think he would be quite reluctant oh I think I know DDL <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> how do you get him Oof. to be bombed in 2006 Arch. instead of teaming up with PTA to go do there will be blood first of all <laughs> I don't think anybody wins in that scenario, right? That like we want him to do there will be blood, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's like the where we want to, we'd rather have him, right? But 
I do think there's a way. But you're, you're Mr. Broccoli now, right? So you don't care about their I don't care blood. About, I don't, yeah. Yeah. don't want that film to be made. Yeah. So what I would do is, and this is, this is a different Mr. Broccoli because I don't think Mr. Broccoli would do exactly right, this, right? right. right? But uh, you approach Daniel, DDL, and you say, look, I have an idea for Bond. It's stale. The idea is dead. It's not going to run any further, right? Mm. People are sick of it. Consumers are smarter than, than it as a concept. They need something new. James Bond, let's say he has like a crippling mental health issue that like after his years of being a spy, oh, wow. he's like, he's picked up terrible anxiety, whatever it is, like some kind of uh, agoraphobia or like, you know, ju- just like he, he's really struggling, right? PTSD. PTSD, yeah. anything, right? So Daniel... Your job is to somehow portray at the start of the movie, that's where he is, that he's, he's, he can't get out of bed, basically. He's like a complete mess. But over the course of the movie, through the events of the movie, he's somehow forced to like confront these issues and overcome them and become, by the end, back to kind of normal. So you, you pitch him a one-and-done, one-shot James Bond movie where it's not about the action. There's no, not a single bullet is fired in the whole movie. It's just about like his journey wow. from uh, crippling depression back to being who he is. You know? The psyche. That's oh, the wow. only way. And even that, I think Daniel DDL will be like, absolutely not. <laughs> and, and that's keeping no in mind that in yeah. that moment where you're going to pitch him, he's somewhere, I think, in the Tuscan countryside yeah. learning to make shoes. Yeah. Right. He's, and, he's, uh, he's got more, he's got bigger things on his mind than, or, right. you know, he's, he's got his priorities a bit more lined up than being James Bond at any point, actually, I think. Right. Okay. DDL. Right. Dude, he has a sharp guy. He, he, uh, yeah. Okay, so he Dominic West is our bond. I think so. And what happens to Daniel? Poor Daniel, then. That's it. Yeah, so let's let's hit Daniel, right? Because, yeah. I mean, he's got he's got the freedom. He doesn't have bond as a launching pad, but he can uh, he can do all the things that, uh, that he didn't end up doing in those 15 years, right? That's true. That's true. I think what happens to Daniel, though, because you've, have you seen Knives Out? The first one. Yeah, yeah. I, there's right. a second one coming yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I'll watch it. But uh, I like the movie. Rian Johnson does a great job, right? But uh, what I didn't like in that movie was Daniel Craig's performance altogether. Mm. I thought he was miscast. And uh, I thought there's zero chance he gets cast in that were it not for his like global fame and like mm. his want to do something completely different to Bond because he's like this Southern drawl, I'm a detective right, right. kind of you know, guy. Yeah. And didn't like it. Didn't feel natural. It felt really like all the way through, kind of awkward. And like, oh, yeah. if you're going to do that, just get Sam Harris or get, or, get, or what's the, you know that, that, that uh, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, just get someone who's can actually like yeah. nail it. You know, like and comfortably nail it. You know, because yeah. I don't think he nails it in, okay. in Knives Out. So my point is, do I rate him as an actor? Yeah, yeah. Like mm. totally great, very committed. I actually thought his work in the in the Belvedere vodka ad was really good. Like, yeah, yeah, really good. Like, I just came tired. away with, wow, this guy looks tired. For sure. Yeah. And he's he's aged, uh, like age has not escaped him, let's say, since no, no, he was no. cast, right? But uh, he's very, I like his commitment and he really goes all in on, on whatever he does. Uh, but is he like, is he Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, or is he Anthony Hopkins or like mm. that, these kind of greats though? Right. I don't think he gets there. So no. if he doesn't get Bond, what does he do? He probably follows a similar path to like Colin Farrell actually, where he does a few big movies, a few art movies, mm. kind of one for me, one for them yeah. kind of thing. But I don't think, I don't think we, we're sitting here in 2022 talking about him. Either. Right. Probably. But he also doesn't go full action in your scenario. You think no. he'd also want those more artsy roles, and he doesn't go like a yeah. you know a Tom Cruise twenty first century route. Not necessarily, but he's very good at it. I have to say, like right. I don't know if that was like 
through loads of training and like once he got bond he just like you know yeah. got into it but he's brilliant at it like you yeah. know there's no question there but that's also the bond complex right once yeah. we've we've seen them do that role for so long yeah yeah it's it's a bit of a curse i mean True. look at pierce afterwards like yeah a few rom-coms here and there uh mamma mia novelty appearance and then fantastic like, yeah. film is it right i haven't seen it i haven't seen it. no uh, hey, it's, it's the musical on on tv meryl's in it also uh yeah. can't argue with that yeah, yeah. scars guards in it oh you're Colin Firth, your man. Oh yeah, uh, oh, boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. yeah, does a good job. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Former Mean Girl. Yeah. Former Mean Girl, and yeah. there you have it. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, Daniel huge. Craig. We rate him as an actor, but uh, ultimately, uh, I actually think he needed Bond. If we call this from his perspective, yes, it was mm. he, he. It was the best case scenario for him. However tired he is, and how, whatever he's doing now with Belvedere vodka ads, like I still think he there's no better path for him than being cast as bond in oh four five whatever it was yeah. okay okay that's my that's yeah. my take yeah i'm with you yeah so dominic west now dominic west now 50 years must old be. must be today yeah. yeah could he still get the call up because they're looking for someone he has my vote I, yeah. I i would watch it and i would watch it over you know, any of those young guys you mentioned, you know, it's Tom right. Hardy. I have no interest in seeing. Absolutely. Just not. like I've seen. Now Tom, that's someone like, who I don't rate. Yeah. As yeah. An actor, 100%. In terms of pure acting. Job. Oh, that's maybe one for another podcast of just like, who's your top overrated. Just tearing into Tom Hardy for yeah, 20 minutes. You can do, you do Tom Hardy and then I'll do uh, <laughs> Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I, oh. uh, no, but I have a, no, I have a little hot take. But, Christoph. Yeah. Yeah. We'll save that, save that for a future wow. episode. Cause okay. I, I have uh, some thoughts, oh. but, um, yeah, that was my. Uh... Yeah, thanks for landing the plane on that one. I think the issue they're having now with the with casting Bond is nobody wants that long of a commitment. No, and they're quite you know adamant on it. They're not they're not moving their fingers. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I think uh, it's a bit like those Game of Thrones actors. Like, had they known what they were signing up for, yeah. the ones in the original Game of Thrones. Mm. I mean, like th- that was like their lives, especially the young ones like right. uh, Maisie Williams and, and right. those. They were like literally uh signing away their their formative years to this show no that was all they did for like six seven eight years you know no. uh no more even uh like 10 years because there was gaps between the series so i think yeah like i fully get if you're an actor who if you if you have any level of belief in yourself and like your trajectory and you think you can do better than bond like for sure you're like no thanks i'm not right. gonna sign away 10 right. 15 years no way and also where are we with bond i mean I'm he, he died at the end of the last yeah, one. Yeah. spoiler alert i'm uh, yeah i'm finished with it like uh i think the the once once anyone reaches the age of like eighteen, even you start to see through the the kind of format, and you're like, yeah, he's gonna go here and get shot at, and then he'll get really hurt, but then he'll come through, and you know, it's just kind of like, if this is all it's gonna be, then I'm like, fine, and it's it's over. And then I think what made the Casino Royale and then uh, Skyfall so good mm-hmm. was the villain casting, where it's like. You have Le Chief or you have uh, Javier Bardem. Bardem, or, I can't remember what his character was called, but like uh, just amazing, yeah. like just and like keeps you hooked the whole way through, you know. But uh, yeah, I think the format has run its its course. I, I wouldn't yeah. mind if they just said that's the end of it now, you know. Yeah. And great, great, they will, but yeah. like ch- zero chance they will. It's like yeah. Star Wars; they're going to just right. beat it until right. it's dead. But like uh, until people stop turning up at the cinema, they're going to keep doing it. But it's just like I'm so uh, so over it. Yeah. As over with Bond as you are with Christmas music? Or? Good way to wrap it up. I think Christmas music is still my uh, my number one hate right now. So Public enemy number one. I'll, Christmas put music. It, put it this way. I'll watch a Bond movie this Christmas. I certainly won't be putting on any Christmas music. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Neil Fitzpatrick starring in this podcast as The Scrooge. 100%. A, a role I will take on. Great. Proudly. This was good, man. Thanks a million. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. And uh, looking forward to the next episode. Let's do it again. Nice one.